That's incredibly uncomfortable. Right? Nods. Nods. There we go. We'll, we'll keep working on this. Right? So for many of you, Travis talked about last week, these catalytic events, these moments in life where our world can never be the same. Right? Where we have to make a choice, where, where we get information in, or we have an experience to where, you know, in the arc of a story, right? This is, this is where the, the, the hero, right, has something happen, and their world's never the same. And the hero has a choice. They can always either step it back into comfort and try to recreate the life they knew before, or they can move forward on a brave adventure and try to figure out how to make their lives make sense now, living in the new actual reality rather than hiding things. And so that's what these Jewish Christians were struggling with, right? They, they, they needed to make this choice. And to their credit, they actually went through and started that journey, right? They said, and stepped over here and said, okay, we're going to leave that aside. And, and that starts with Peter, right? Because they're having this big argument, and Peter comes over and he says, y'all, we're arguing about something that doesn't really matter in the context of Christ. Really what we should be focusing on is Christ. We've got to stop trying to load our culture, load our values, load our system and the way it works over everyone else. Because the Jewish Christians, right, were Jews. And if you think about Jewish culture throughout history, they got God's word. They got God's law. They got everything from God. And so for some of them, and you see this with the Pharisees and, and really a lot of people in Jewish culture, for some of them, that gave them an attitude of what? Raise your hand if you know the answer. What was their attitude? Superiority, Superiority right? They had this sense of we are better than everyone else, right? And so for them to accept this new group of people, right, they needed to strip away the culture and really focus on what is essential. Who was Christ? And so I'm going to ask a question right now. We're, we're going to see who can give me a few answers. Like, when we look at Christ's life, if we boil it down, if you were to simplify it to one or two basic principles, what would it be? And I'll give you a hint. Jesus actually gave you the answer in Matthew 22. Yes! Say that, turn out and say that so everyone can... Love God and love your neighbor, right? That's what everything comes down to. I have to find myself. There we are, right? This is the most important commandment, right? And love God with everything you have, soul, heart, mind, strength, right? Jesus talks about that in Matthew. If you want the verses, it's 37 through 40, right? So every thought, every action, every goal of your life should be focused on those things. And anything else is like that teddy bear, right? It's nice to have, it's comfortable, but it's really not essential, right? So if, if, the, if love God, love your neighbor is, is central, right, then what does that look like in practice? And we, there, there's a lot of places we could look for this, but I think the two places to look are John's gospel. What does John focus on? This is a question in his gospels. What is kind of the constant running theme through it? Does anyone have an answer for that? God's love and faith in who? Jesus. Believe, belief in Jesus, right? Those who believe in me. It's said like over and over and over again in John, 
right? And, and we're not talking like the lowercase believe, like I show up and I say, I believe in Jesus, and then I show up on Sunday. We're call it, talking like all caps believe, like your life is radically transformed, right? But how do we do that? How, is our, how are our lives radically transformed? What does it actually look like? The answer to that is over here in the Sermon on the Mount, right? How does the Sermon on the Mount start? Does anyone remember? What's the first, like, stanza in the Sermon on the Mount? The Beatitudes. Thank you. Right? A list of postures that you should take on, and a list of groups of people who will be blessed because of certain things. Right? So that's the list of attitudes. What comes after that in the Sermon on the Mount? Does anyone know? Money, persecution, right? It's a list, it's a series of and I wrote this down so I'd remember, you've heard it said this. I say this. Does anyone remember what the, the, the you heard it said any of those were? You've heard it said, thou shall not kill, murder, right? I'm saying to you, yes, if you kill someone in your heart, don't let what reside in here. Resentment, anger, right? Hatred, right? You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I'm saying, don't lust. Don't lust in your heart, right? So if we want to look at what's essential, like it's those things, it's it's these attitudes, it's it's these states of mind. And these are really huge asks, right? Jared, you and I talk about how We'd love to do all these things, right? And we often find ourselves not doing those things, right? So this is what the Jewish Christians are forced to wrestle with, right? They had these lists of laws and rules and all these ways of being, and those had become so central to them that they'd missed, actually, I'm calling you to something bigger and harder, right? So those are kind of the essential things, um, that they need to deal with it. And to their credit, again, they kind of step into uh, this discomfort. All right, so we're going to get back to that question. Let's see. Uh, I got ahead of myself in my notes, which always happens. Um, uh, Answer this question. Oh, okay. So we get to the point where the Jewish, Peter says, this is what we need to do. We need to focus on Christ. And then James steps in and says, in the next couple of verses, and you didn't, we didn't read this, but he basically says in uh, 13, uh, 13 through 18, and actually everyone turn there. Go, go ahead and open your Bibles. I want you, I want you to have this in front of you so, that, so you can see it. In 13 through 18, he steps to the front and he begins to say something. I'm going to give you a minute to kind of skim through that, and then I want to see what, it, what do you think James is saying in this section? So if you're being a good student, you have your Bible open right now, you're looking at the texts, (laughs) you're looking around. Does anyone need a Bible? God went to the Gentiles first. There's a good start. What's been the plan all along? 
Is God just for the Jews? No. The plan all along is God is for everyone, right? And basically, we need to get over ourselves, right? This isn't about us. This isn't about Jewish culture. This is about Jesus. This is about letting him be central and us allowing anything cultural, any of our belief systems that don't come from Christ, to be central. Or no, to not be central, to fall away, right? Christ needs to be central. Now, in 19 through 21, the Jews come up with a plan because they're arguing about this because they've got new Gentiles that have come in, right? There's a church out in Antioch that they're trying to figure out, like, what do we do? What do we tell them? And they were arguing, they were saying, they need to get circumcised. Okay, we're not going to do that. Well, what do we say? And so if you're looking at your Bibles right now in 19 through 21, you'll see they kind of come up with a list of here's what's essential to us. And I'm not going to spend time really articulating what they felt like was essential to them because that, that opens up a whole other can of worms that, that I think is for another sermon with pastors and people who really know um, <laughs> that kind of background to talk about. What I want to talk about is what's missing from that letter. What is missing? What did they not do? Or better question, who did they focus on? Themselves. Right? They say in this section, here's what will make it so that you can, like, that we, we'd like to not be uncomfortable when we're around you. And if you're doing these things, we will be uncomfortable. Right? Are there any words of affirmation about the church at Antioch and their culture? No. It says nothing about them. Right? And if you're writing a really good letter, right, and if you really know people, what do you, what's the best way to start? Good things. You build them up. Right? You see this in Paul's letters, right? He's like, I love these things about you. Right? I love every piece of this about you. This letter is, please don't do these things. This makes us uncomfortable. Do they really have a relationship with that group? Do they have a sense of who that group is? No. And if, if, if I'm being frank, many of us today kind of fall into that category. Of as, as we've seen stuff happen in other communities, either internationally or in communities around us in our own neighborhoods, it just doesn't make sense. We're like, well, why is that happening? Why are they protesting? Why are they getting all upset about this? It feels very discombobulating. Right? And that's because, frankly, and, and this, this has hit me really hard personally, I don't know enough. I'm not in community with them. I don't understand the history of the land we're living in right now and why this might be happening. Why are these schools in the South End all dilapidated of Seattle? Why are they consistently getting less money? Why are all the people of color congregated into certain areas of our city and certain areas of our country? Right? Why is this the most segregated hour still? of the entire week. 
right? Dr. King talked about this 60 years ago. He's like, Sunday mornings are the most segregated hour of the week. (laughs) It's brutal. So, the key is, though, that we need to lean into the discomfort of these moments. Right? We need to lean into when things come across that we don't understand. We need to be like these Jewish Christians. It may be really awkward. We may not know what we're doing to start. But we need to start leaning in and learning more about why things are the way they are and learn from the errors of the past, particularly the errors of the church in our area of the past. Because this land that we're standing on was claimed in some pretty gross ways by people who claimed to know Christ. Right? Does anyone know when the first church was established in Seattle? I'll be impressed if you do, because I didn't really know. I had to look it up. 1853, it was the first Methodist church. Some of the first founders of that church were Arthur Denny and his wife, the first European settlers of this area. Right? Does anyone know when the Treaty of Point Elliot was signed between the indigenous people of the area, the Duwamish, the Lushootsi-speaking people, and the U.S. government? 1855. What's the problem with those dates? The first church was founded in 1853, but the treaty wasn't signed, ceding the land until 1855. What was happening? There were Christians involved coming in and claiming land that they had no right to. Right? Imagine someone showed up in your property, set up a tent, set up a little temple, stayed there for two years, and then decided to come talk to you. Right? And the story gets better after that, though, right? No. It gets worse, right? The schools are set up to actually remove indigenous culture. Right? These are people who had been living here for like 15,000 years, who knew how the environment worked, who had a culture that, frankly, European descendant Christians could learn a lot from. Because their understanding of their interaction with their environment was way closer to Genesis 128 than the European one was. Right? So it was a miss, this missed opportunity. They came in and assumed their culture was superior. But that's all gone away, right? We don't, Americans don't think our, our, our culture is superior. It's all gone. Fortunately, time solved all that, right? No. Because time is neutral, as Dr. King says. Time doesn't fix things. People actively making change, people leaning into discomfort, people learning about injustice and learning into who Christ is are the ones who make change. How many of you could list a hero in the Seattle area who, or, or just talk about at least one person in the Seattle area who's done this work? Raise your hand. 
What was that, Dave? Okay, good. There's one. But I notice we're struggling collectively, yes? Right? We are those Jewish Christians presented with some details, wondering, whoa, what are we doing here? And it's a hard place to be. So the question is, what are our next steps? What do we need to do to really understand more? Because frankly, if you look at Acts 15, the end of it, and Acts 16, it's Paul bumbling his way through trying to figure this out. And he gets himself in trouble a couple times. He gets himself almost killed and thrown in prison because of a cultural misunderstanding in Philippi. Right? So we just lean in and start trying to make change and just telling everyone about Jesus without really knowing the cultures we're stepping into? I mean, God redeemed... Yeah, go for it. Yes. Yes, God listens. Right? God takes the time... And Jesus, frankly, didn't need to take the time to get to know people, and yet he still did. So much of his interactions were just having dinner with people and communing with people and living his life generously without judgment. Right? He frankly just said, here's where you are. Here's what you need to do to change. Right? But that's not our job. Our job is to show his love to the world. So, I've gotten a little off track because this is what happens in my classes all the time, so I'm going to try to, try to track back to where I was going. Um, talked about that. We talked about that. So, our questions today come down to twofold. What, if, if we're looking at those two questions, what is Christ and what is culture? This takes a lot of self-analysis, right? We have to sit there and analyze both our collective culture and our individual lives to see what is actually Christ and what is just stuff that I learned through being a part of this culture. Because if we aren't actively doing that, we're just letting the culture shape us, right? We've let the culture make the decisions for us. And Dr. King said something really, really cool that, that, that made me feel good, right, about... about how, how to interact with this. It's like, we are all part of a system, right? And, and I think it's easy to point fingers either at ourselves or at others and say, this is why things are wrong. That person, that individual. And that's not the approach. The approach is actually to love the people caught up in the system while actively fighting the system. Right? Love yourself in this process. Realize that we all fall short. But fight the systems. Identify those things that need change and understand where they come from so that we can actually learn to show Christ's love to the world without the culture. Right? We've got to stop repeating those, same, those mistakes of the church of the past, thinking that because we have Christ, we have all the answers. 
Because what's happened in every situation is the culture is brought in and Christ is shrouded behind the culture. There's indigenous folks today who say they want nothing to do with white man's religion. Right? And that's not because they're rejecting Jesus. They're just rejecting the culture that shrouded Jesus behind it. So here's our challenge. And this is what I want to talk about in our breakout rooms today. I want us to start by positively uplifting ourselves, right? By this kind of letter, talking about what parts of our life right now really mirror and look like Christ's, right? In what ways can you say, like, yes, right? I'm dialed into this. Yes. It's okay. That's why we have great insurance policies on these. I'll get a loaner. Um, It's a school computer. Uh, I'm not going to tell them how this happened. (laughs) So, to get back to the point, what about our lives is really aligned with Christ right now? Right? In what ways are we showing generosity? In what ways are we loving people? Right? Or loving ourselves? And then the second question is, what's that uncomfortable next step that we need to take to really understand the flaws in our cultural system and the flaws in our own perspectives. Right? And, and particularly at- attached, because this is a history on racial reconciliation, to racism. Right? It is very, very baked into this culture. And if you bristle at that thought, then I would invite you to really look deeply and honestly at the history of this country. Because as a person who studies history, it is, it's, it's awful. Right? So again, what ways are you aligning your Christ with, what ways are you aligning your life with Christ right now? And in what ways do you need to make yourself uncomfortable and learn more about the injustices of the system that we live in? Cool, cool? All right, any questions? Sorry, that's the teacher me asking. There's probably not questions. Okay, as usual, please turn to uh, groups of five or six in the breakout rooms. Talk about ways you're aligning yourself with Christ and kind of some next steps. All right, go to it.